Hello and welcome. You've reached part six in our series I've entitled 66 Books, which are six short introductory podcasts to the 66 books that make up our Bible. This is episode six, which is the book of Joshua, the book of the possession of the land. Joshua is indeed an invaluable addition to the preceding five books of the Bible, those that we called the Pentateuch. It is the book where things are finally realized. Until now, the land was promised to Israel, but in Joshua, the land actually becomes the possession of Israel. Joshua is the book that records for us the entering in and the conquest of the land. Thinking about the author, Well, you are probably aware that the same person, Moses, wrote all the books of the Bible up until we reach this point of Joshua. With Joshua, for the first time, someone writes a book of the Bible other than Moses. Technically, the book of Joshua is anonymous, but there are reasons to believe that Joshua himself wrote it. Firstly, the text itself says an eyewitness has written it in Joshua chapter 5 verses 1 and 6. Such events as the sending out of the spies, the crossing of the Jordan, the capture of Jericho and Ai are all witnessed and described with great clarity and detail. Whoever wrote Joshua was definitely an eyewitness. So Joshua wrote at least parts of the book. The use of the term we and us in sections within chapters 5, 6, 18 and 24 attestify to this. In addition to these textual hints, tradition also assigns the book to Joshua. Indeed Joshua was the best qualified person to write the book because he became Israel's leader and was an eyewitness to most of the events described. Some believe that three small sections, however, were most likely added after his death. Firstly, Othniel's capture of Kirajay-Sephir, which is described both here in Joshua and will later be referred to in Judges. Dan's migration to the north in Joshua chapter 19, which is also described in the book of Judges. And of course, Joshua's death and burial. It is believed by some that Eliezer the priest and his son Phineas may have inserted these passages later, around the time the book of Judges was written. When thinking about who the book was written to, the recipients, well we know the Exodus took place in approximately 1447 BC. The conquest of the land began 40 years later, in and around 1407 BC, According to Caleb, the conquest was completed in seven years. Thus, it is likely that Joshua was written around about 1400 BC or possibly just shortly afterwards. The book of Joshua is concerned largely with Israel's conquest of Canaan and the division of the land among its tribes. As early as Genesis chapter 13, in the time of Abraham, God had promised the land and he'd promised that it would belong to Israel. But several hundred years passed before Israel was large enough or strong enough to conquer and occupy it. Most of Israel's population growth took place whilst they were in Egypt, 
and when God's time arrived Moses led the people out of Egypt towards Canaan. However, when the people were close enough to Canaan to prepare for attack, they became fearful of the Canaanites and they began to be rebellious against God, except for two, two of the tribal leaders within the community, which is Joshua and Caleb. The people, it seemed, just stubbornly refused to trust God and advanced into Canaan as it had been promised to them. So in punishment, God left them in the wilderness. Till that whole generation, except Joshua and Caleb, had died out and a new generation had grown up. Now, 40 years later, after their parents had left Egypt, the people of this new generation were about to enter the land of Canaan at last. They were camped on the plains just east of the River Jordan, opposite where Moses had just died, which was described at the end of Deuteronomy, chapter 34, in fact. And Joshua is now the new nation's leader. Thinking about the message of Joshua, we know that Joshua had grown up as a slave in Egypt, but these years of hardship helped him to develop a strength of character and a faith in God that would one day make him an important national figure. When the Israelites at last escaped from Egypt, Joshua soon showed his leadership qualities by quickly organizing a fighting force and driving off the Amalekite attack. Those events were described back in Exodus chapter 17. By the time Israel reached Mount Sinai, Joshua was Moses' second in command. He went along with Moses up into the mountain, and he kept watch while Moses entered the very presence of God. Likewise, he kept watch outside the tent when Moses met with God there, and on the occasion of Israel's rebellion against God in the wilderness, it was Joshua who demonstrated his faith and his courage when he and Caleb stood firm against them. His faith in God gave him patience and kept him from any selfish ambition. He shows no jealousy of Moses as Israel's leader and even tries to defend him against any action that might have appeared to it threatened Moses' important position. God chose Joshua to succeed Moses' leader, but he made it clear that Joshua would not exercise the absolute authority that Moses had previously exercised. Moses' position was to be seen as unique. He was the only one who spoke to God face to face. Nevertheless, Joshua was a person who understood God and his experience as a spiritual guide, a civil administrator and a military leader fitted him well to lead the people of Israel into the new land and the new era that lay before them. The subject is about claiming your possessions, in this case, metaphor through the claiming of the land. The word possession occurs no less than 22 times in this book. Now there is a difference between ownership and possession. Israel's ownership over the land was declared to be completely unconditional in Genesis chapter 15 verses 7 to 21 and in other passages. But her possession of the land was conditional We've discovered that in the, the closing chapters of Deuteronomy. God told Joshua, You've got it, Joshua. Now go and get it. The message of Joshua is possessing your God-given possessions. And that sometimes can mean a long, hard battle. But this book tells us it's worth it. 
The structure of Joshua is interesting. Like Exodus and Deuteronomy before, there's a great deal of geographical material in the book of Joshua. Yet there is also narrative, and even beyond that, the details of the division of the land. And then, of course, there's a final farewell address, a sort of sermon, if you like. But the geography is one of the unifacting factors throughout the book. In that sense, it falls into three main parts and then an appendix. So we see the entering of the land to possess it in Joshua chapters 1 to 5, and then from chapter 6 to 12, we see the conquering of the land to possess it, and then in chapters 13 to 21, we see how the land is to be divided up. The, creation, the division of the land, the creation of the cities of refuge, and the cities for the Levites. And then in a sort of appendix at the end of the book, in the, in the last two chapters, we see the dismissal of the eastern tribes and the farewell of Joshua. When considering the purpose of the book of Joshua, its real purpose, it seems to me, is to document how God led the Israelites into the land and how they subsequently conquered and divided it. Joshua carries on the geographical and chronological story of Israel, which is spanned through the entire Old Testament from Abraham to Malachi. It's important to note that without this book, there would be really huge gaping holes in our understanding of the history of Israel. How they got into and settled the land would be unknown. Although the book outlines the conquest of Canaan, it does not provide a detailed historical account of events. The battle for Canaan actually lasted at least five years, but the writer passes over some of the longer battles in only a few verses. By contrast, he describes events which on the surface seem of little military importance in considerable detail. The reason for this is that the writer's chief concern is not to provide a detailed military or political record, but to show what God was doing amongst his people, what God was doing with his people. The writer is more of a preacher than a keeper of statistics. He's more a prophet than a historian. To the Israelites, a prophet was not primarily a person who predicted the future, but a person who revealed God's will to his people. They viewed their history as a revelation of what God was doing amongst them, and for this reason most of the biblical books that we call historical, at that time they were actually referred to as prophetical. Because of this, distinctly Israelite way of viewing history, the writer makes no attempt to record everything that actually happened during the era. Neither did he record events in strict chronological order. Rather, he selected and arranged his material according to his prophetic purpose. He wants to lead his readers, he wants to lead us to a greater knowledge of God through writing about the matters that are occurring, writing about these matters that are of greater significance in God's dealing with his people. So in summarizing the book of Joshua, one might say that Joshua wrote this book to the new generation, to remind them how, of how God had led them into the land how they'd been enabled to conquer it and divide it. The message is that when God's people trust and obey him, they possess their possessions. 
We need to trust and obey his word so that we too today, thousands of years later, can also possess our God-given possessions.